0: I want to say uh, congratulations to the Hopewell Loudon girls softball team, who almost won state last night, but uh, good season. They were runners-up this year, which is, I mean, that's pretty impressive for a school around us. So uh, I want to say congratulations to them. Um, I don't know how this was for you, for those of you guys who are married, uh, but for me, when I was in college, um, one magical day, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, this girl caught my eye. And uh, her name was Kate. Kate and I were friends, and I ended up marrying that girl, by the way. Um, but uh, Kate, I remember when I started realizing, I'm like, man, I think I like her more than like, than like a friend. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're in that kind of awkward, weird relationship time where you're like, you don't know exactly what you guys are or whatever. Um, but for me, I had a lot of like competition because there was other guys that she was going out on dates with already and picnics and all these stupid little things that she was doing <laughs> with these other guys. And um, and so I was like, okay, well, I got to do something different. Like, I got to get this girl's attention. And so I started realizing, you know, when she was doing something with our friend group, like, I was always there. Like, if I knew Kate was going to be there, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go do that. Um, I arranged my, like, schedule around her. I was like, okay, I know she goes and she eats lunch with our friends at, like, 12.15. I'm free for 12.15. That's when I'm going to go eat lunch. You know, um, she's – we we started doing a whole bunch of things uh, together. I started trying to spend more time with her so that I could get – her attention uh, she was on an intramural soccer team they were called the Betty goats okay which is super lame they would go around before the game is like their chant I don't know what you call it they'd be like Betty goats you know that's what they you should ask her about it it was weird okay <laughs> not me her not okay and, um, and so it's so like I would go it'd be super embarrassing because I'm associated with that team you know what I mean But uh, it was all, you know, I'm like, but I'm trying to get her attention. She'll see me here. I'm like, I'm like supporting her and the rest of the Betty goats. And, you know, I'm there for them. She liked to do ice skating. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I like to go ice skating. You know what I'm talking about? Um, She was on the intramural ice skating team for the school that we were at. And so um, I started going to like some of her competitions, you know, to to support her. And They did the halftime show or whatever you call it in between periods. Um, at uh, at the hockey games, all of a sudden I'm going to all the hockey games, all right? So I can see Kate, so I can so I can um, hopefully get her attention. Maybe she'll see me up there in the stands. and Be like, oh, Zach's here again. He's watching me. Man, he must. Maybe he likes me. You know, I kind of like it. I like that. You know, that type of thing. Um, one of the things she came up, she was tel- talking to me probably at lunch or whatever one day, and she was like, man, I really, really, really want to go like rollerblading. She liked to go rollerblading, which is kind of like ice skating. You know, so maybe that. That makes sense. And so I'm like, I love to go rollerblading. I haven't been rollerblading since I was like six. I didn't own any rollerblades. Okay, I was a man, you know, a 21-year-old man. And so I'm like, I love to go rollerblading. All right, when do you want? And she's like, tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. And I had to run to the store and find, you know, go to Dick's. And I'm like, I need rollerblades. And so I had to go buy rollerblades just so I can go rollerblading with her, just so I could get her attention, so I can separate myself from the breast of the pack. And what I realized is the more time that I spent with Kate, the more I started liking Kate, and the more that I wanted to get her attention. It was just this vicious, endless cycle that I was stuck in. See, it's interesting that as you read this book, you see throughout history all the different ways that God was constantly trying to get his people's Attention, and many times he—I mean—he used a variety of different ways, just like I did with Kay. I mean, many times he was just—he just directly talked uh, to people. He used his direct words. He did this, by the way, usually through um, his prophets. Prophets is a mentioned last week, prophets, they're just messengers from God, meaning God would pick somebody, a man or a woman, and just say, hey, I want you to go tell my people this, and they would say, okay, okay, got it, all right, awesome, and then he'd walk over and say, hey guys, this is what God says, okay, that's what a prophet was, just ordinary people, and so God um, used their, he used direct words through them many times, by the way, I just want to mention, we still have those words, or a lot of those words here today, that still apply to us today. That, uh, that a lot of us, we just ignore. Um, a lot of times he used discipline, okay? That's usually not our first choice when it comes to how do we want God or anybody really to get our attention. God, God used that. Uh, he used different signs. He used different miracles throughout the Bible. I mean, heck, one time, right, he came down and lived 33 years or so with us to try to get our attention. And as if that wasn't unique enough, sometimes God got really creative, again, trying to get people's attention. And for the next three years, we're going to be looking through this in the series called Strange Stories from Ezekiel. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, just like AJ told you, already, It's going to be weird, okay? It's weird, man. God had Ezekiel doing some strange, strange stuff. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard of a pastor speak in the book of Ezekiel, especially a series in the book of Ezekiel, and especially the stories that we're going to be looking at. And I'm going to just tell you straight up, there's a reason for that. Okay, I found that out this week. I'm like, oh, yeah, this isn't anything that nobody really wants to touch. But the cool thing that we're going to be looking at is that we get the opportunity to look at God's unique, creative, innovative, completely original attempts to get his people's attention through a young man named Ezekiel. And it all starts in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 2. He says, on the fifth day, this is Ezekiel writing, on the fifth day of the month, it was actually the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. Let me stop it right there. What Ezekiel's doing here is he is actually giving us the context of when all of this took place, All right, Ezekiel's giving us the context of, hey, this is when all this, and he's about to tell us and about to do, goes down. And so for a lot of us, we have no idea the context because we have no idea who Jehoiachin is, okay? A lot of you guys, you you know, maybe you've even been a Christian for decades. All right, you remember Jehoiachin from the Old Testament? Probably not, okay? All right, because he's not like, you know, your prime, your prime character by any means. He's only mentioned a couple times. So let me get you guys up to speed. Are you cool with that? I'll give you, like, the history of what's going on in the context of what's going on. Just It'll take us a few minutes. You good? Okay, this is what's going on. All right, you got Israel back in the Old Testament, all right? They're a nation, and um, and they remember God was supposed to be their king. God was supposed to rule over them, and really, the whole reason for Israel is that God was coming to fix mankind's problem, our sin problem, which He was going to do through Jesus. And God uses this line or this family, this nation, the Jewish people to make that happen. And so you got Israel, back in the Old Testament, before Jesus shows up, you got Israel, um, they eventually reject God as their king and they ask God for a new king. They see all the nations around them, they're like, everybody's got kings, we want a king, God give us a king. God's like, hey, this is not what's best for you, this is not even what's good for you, but if this is what you want, I will give you a king. And they're like, yep, this is what we want. And so God gives them a king, the first king is this guy named King Saul, who starts off really good. And then he quickly falls away from God, and he rebels against God. And eventually, God rejects King Saul as king, and he raises up a new king and, uh, out of this teenager named King David. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard the name uh, King David. He was uh, a pretty good king. He was, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart, although he had his ups and downs you know, throughout his life. Um, king David ends up dying and king, his son Solomon becomes king. Uh, during King Solomon's reign, this is like the peak of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. I mean, they're, they're, they're rich, there's money. Solomon's the wisest man to have ever have lived, and it shows up and it kind of it, it, uh, it kind of radiates out through his people and through the nation as well. Uh, after King Solomon dies, his son takes over as king, and he wants to raise taxes, like, right away. And so out of the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of the tribes are like, yeah, okay, uh, no thanks, which I respect, right? I don't want to pay taxes. And so they're like, hey, we're not paying you taxes. We're going to go, and we're going to start our own nation. And the nation of Israel actually splits in half all right, and as the dust settles, you got the northern kingdom. Uh, this, they retain the name Israel in the north. They have to build a new capital. They name this city Samaria, and ten tribes are within that nation called Israel. And then they have a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom has the name Judah, named after kind of the main tribe of Israel. And, um, and Judah retains the old capital of the whole nation of Israel called Jerusalem. And uh, the Israel, the northern kingdom, I mean, things go downhill for them fast. And both, both kingdoms basically have the same, roughly the same population, okay, same size. Um, Israel in the north goes downhill fast, all right? All the kings, the Bible tells us, they all rebel against God and refuse to follow God. But God is so patient with them. And he sends them prophet after prophet after prophet that these people and these kings are killing and trying to kill. And he does this for around 208 years. By the way, can you imagine, some of us, you can't even wait like five minutes for anything. Right? Can you imagine being like God, waiting 208 years for them to come back to him? You know? It, it, like, he waits 208 years, they don't, and so God allows this new world empire that has just kind of grown up uh, over the last decade or so, named Assyria, that has started to dominate the world, God allowed Assyria to come in, and they defeated Israel, the northern kingdom, and they basically wiped them off the map. It's so sad. It was their consequence. This happened in 722 BC is the really natural consequences for them rebelling against God, and God chose not to protect them. In the meantime, you got Judah in the south, all right? The, this southern kingdom, they have some good kings, they got some bad kings. Um, and so God actually protects Judah from this huge nation called Assyria, and uh, God actually protects Judah for the next 135 years after that, until the last good king of Judah um reigns and this guy's name is Josiah. Now Josiah he he becomes king when he's 8 years old. Can you imagine that? 8-year-old king? I'd be like no thanks. But Josiah is a really good guy. In fact, he is the best king that Judah, or Israel for that matter, has ever had. He's the best king that the Jewish people have ever had. This guy followed God to a T. He, uh, he, he, he led his people to follow God. God loved him, and he loved God. And everything was going well in Judah, in the small nation. And this is, the, this is really the administration, or whatever you want to call it, the government. This is the king that Ezekiel grew up knowing as king. Okay, this is all throughout Ezekiel's early years. But eventually, Josiah dies, and he dies unexpectedly. Actually, King Necho. out of Egypt, happens to come up, and he's gonna make war against. Uh, he's gonna. He's allies with the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians are fighting the Babylonians, which is about to be the new world empire for world dominance. And so Egypt comes and helps them. Well, Egypt has to walk through Judah to get to where Babylon is. And so um, as Nico is coming through, Josiah, for some reason, is just like, "Hey, halt! All right, or whatever you would say, stop! All right, uh, you are not walking through my land." And Pharaoh, Nico's is just like, uh, Yeah, I am. Otherwise, we're going to kill you. And Josiah's like, Nope, we will fight you. And so the Pharaoh's just like, OK. And they actually defeated Judah, kind of for no reason. And then Josiah ends up dying in battle. OK, just kind of a sad way to end. And when Josiah dies, things were just going so great, it, it immediately turns into a mess. Right? They crown his son, Jehoiah, has. As king, um, the Bible tells us that Jehoiahaz is an evil king. He's only king for like three months. And Niko, he goes off to battle. He actually loses that battle against the Babylonians. And as he's coming back to his home nation, as he's coming back to Egypt, he's walking back through Judah, and uh, he finds out that Jehoiah has is king, and he's like, I didn't say this guy could be king, I defeated you guys, um, you guys don't get to pick your own king, I'm going to pick the king, and he actually kidnaps Jehoahaz and he takes Jehoiahaz back to Egypt with him, where he's going to end up dying, and he puts his older brother, Jehoiakim, as king. Are you confused yet? All these different names, okay? All right, Jehoiakim is now king, all right, think of just Kim. Kim. It's a nice name, pretty name, okay? Kim. All right? He becomes king. The Bible says that Kim, Jehoiakim, is evil as well. And so God sends a prophet. I'm trying to connect the dots for you. This prophet's name is Jeremiah. Have you ever heard of him? He's got a whole book in the Bible. All right? Jeremiah God sends, and Jeremiah is warning the people to come back to God. He's warning them, saying, hey, God is going to kick you guys out. If you guys don't shape up, like, God is, like, you guys have done so much evil and doing so many horrible, unimaginable things that God is going to kick you out of this land. And guess what? Nobody listens. Nobody listens. In the meantime, three years later, there's a new kid on the block when it comes to world power. It's Babylon and it's led by this uh, this ruler their king called Nebuchadnezzar and this happens in 605 BC the king of babylon comes down and remember pharaoh nico who 3 years before had had fought him uh, the king of babylon is like i'm going to go take nico out and so he travels through judah goes down to egypt he defeats pharaoh nico on his own turf and as King Nebuchadnezzar is coming back with his army he actually stops and he takes out Judah which is just this tiny little nation as well and uh, and he occupies Judah he actually uh, tells King Jehoiakim he says hey guess what you are going to pay me tribute and meaning you're going to pay me taxes for basically your entire life, and because I, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, own you. And in the meantime, he also takes the best and the brightest Jewish people out of Jerusalem and takes them as captives back to Babylon. One of the guys that he takes is this young guy named Daniel. Does that make sense? All right, sound familiar? He's got a whole book in here too, okay? So he takes Daniel back to Babylon and um, And, which is exactly what God said would happen through Jeremiah. Jeremiah had warned them, saying, hey, God's going to take you out. He's going to kick you out. He's going to kick you out. It's not going to be good for you. And here he is. He's taken people already, just little by little. In the meantime, King er, Jehoiakim, he promises to pay Nebuchadnezzar his tribute every year. This lasts for about three years. Three years later, King Jehoiakim's like, I don't want to pay tribute. I don't want to pay taxes, which I respect, Again. And so he's like, I'm going to stop. And so he stops paying his tribute. He rebels against King Nebuchadnezzar. As you can imagine, King Nebuchadnezzar, who at this point is the most powerful man on earth, I don't, you know, he, he doesn't like that, okay? And he's like, I'm not going to allow this little, you know, pipsqueak of a king in this tiny little nation to be rebelling against me, the empire of Babylon. No way. And so he, Nebuchadnezzar, comes back with his entire army. They take over and defeat Uh, Jerusalem again, and he actually imprisons Jehoiakim, the king, and he puts shackles on him, and his plan is to take him back to Babylon, but I guess he changes his mind along the way, because he actually has Jehoiakim, king, thrown off the wall where he dies. Not good, right? Not a good situation. And so the people crown Jehoiakim's son, get this, Jehoiachin, okay, as king, and he's king for three months in 10 days, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, just like Pharaoh Necho did a few years before, saying, hey, you guys don't get to crown a king. I'm the one who owns you. I'll crown your king, and so he takes King Jehoiachin prisoner to Babylon with about 10,000 of the best people left in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is one of these people. At this point, when he's taken, he's 25 years old. Not only that, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar he takes anything of value that he can find in Jerusalem he takes it and he's taking it back to his hometown Babylon as well. I mean just picture let me take a time out for a second. Just picture this. Can you put your can you put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes? He's 25 years old. Okay? I mean, this guy is 25 years old, so he's probably fought against the Babylonian army and they lost, right? He's already watched his first king, the good king that he grew up with, die in battle from, from the Egyptians. And then the next king gets like kidnapped by the Egyptians and taken back to Egypt. And then the next king just got thrown off the wall. And then the next king, he, he's taken as captive and he's going to Babylon. And Ezekiel is chosen to go with him as a captive. I mean, and he's, he's stripped of everything. He's got nothing to his name. He's, he's ta- not even his home has been taken from him. I mean, everything is gone. Can you imagine being in his shoes? And, and, and in Jerusalem, only the poorest of the poor people are left. There's nothing. It's just so sad. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he appoints a new guy to rule as king over Judah. And this is really just a puppet king for him. And after all this, after Ezekiel has seen all this and experienced all this, some of this stuff with his own eyes, He's been in captivity at this point for five years. Bible says five years later, God shows up to Ezekiel. That's where he's at on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's exile. Remember, Ezekiel's with Jehoiachin in like their, you know, camp or whatever. It says, the word of the Lord came directly to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, Boozy is a sweet name, okay? Jehoiachin, yeah, not so much. But Boozy, like no one's messing with Big Boozy. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) So his dad was sweet, okay? He says, but he came to Ezekiel in the land of the Chaldeans, that's just the Babylonians, by the Kibar Canal, and the Lord's hand was on him there. So here's Ezekiel. All right? He's doing his thing, whatever he does, and God just like shows up to him one day. He's like, hey, Ezekiel, guess what? I got some stuff that I want you to tell Israel. And Ezekiel's like, okay, wow, yeah, all right, that's awesome. I'm about to be a prophet. Never been a prophet before. This is going to be sweet. Um, you're going to tell me some stuff. I'm going to tell the, the people. They're going to listen to me, and they're going to do, uh, you know, what we say, and it's going to be revival, and they're all going to come back to God, and we're all going to get to go home. This is going to be awesome. And here's um, And here's God And God's like, actually, that's not exactly what's going to happen. All right? he, says, he says, son of man, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the house of Israel, and I want you to speak my words to them. He's like, okay, yeah, that's what prophets do. I'm all about that. He says, for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech, or a difficult language, but to the house of Israel. God's saying, I'm not just sending you as like a missionary off to some like random remote place that you guys don't speak the same language and so you're just trying to sign stuff. He's like, no, I'm sending you to your own people, all right? I'm trying to make this as plain as it could possibly be. He says, not to the many peoples of unintelligible speech, or a difficult language, he's, whose words you cannot understand. He's like, by the way, if I were to send you to those people, people who are not following me, who don't even know about me, all right, people who you can't even speak the same language, he's like, no doubt they would listen to you. But God's like, my people, Israel, <laughs> they will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me for the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. You know people like that? So here's God, he's like, I mean, let me say this. Here's Ezekiel, he's all pumped. He's like, I'm bringing revival. We're all going to go home. Everybody's going to listen. This is going to be great. We're going to all change. And God's like, actually, that's not exactly what's going to happen at all. They're not going to listen to you because they don't want to listen to me. But you're going to be my prophet. You're going to be my mouthpiece. Now, remember, Ezekiel's not the only guy who, um, who God's currently using at this point. Remember? You got Jeremiah, he's actually still back in Jerusalem. He's about 20 years older than Ezekiel, so he's around 50 years old at this point. And so he's still warning everybody, hey, you know, God's using him to warn everybody there. Like, you guys need to turn back to God, turn back to God. And then you also got Daniel. Daniel and Ezekiel are like the same age. Daniel had been taken a few years before, remember, three years before, and Daniel is in Babylon working for the enemy. He's in Babylon working for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is interpreting dreams. He's doing all this, all this stuff um, that, you know, that uh, we read about in the book of Daniel, and, uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar actually likes him. And so here's God saying, they're not going to listen to you, okay? You're not going to be like one of those prophets, okay? This is what you're going to do. He says this. He says, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, and you will be mute and unable to be a mediator for them, for they are a rebellious house. He says, but when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, hey, guys, this is what the Lord God says. So here's Ezekiel, right? Like, he's grown up with, like, I want you to picture this. right, he's 30 years old. He's grown up with these stories about all these past prophets that we still read about in our Bibles. Guys like Elijah. And Elisha and these guys who, like, did all these incredible miracles that God used in signs to to show the God's people God's power. And so Ezekiel hears this. He's like, okay, I'm going to be like one of those guys. And then you also got Jeremiah, who's famous for being a prophet, although the people didn't listen to him. You got Daniel, who at this point is already famous for being a prophet. He's able to interpret dreams. He's got, like, powers in a sense like God uses him to do that even Nebuchadnezzar the most powerful man on the planet is super impressed by Daniel and so Ezekiel as I would imagine is probably so pumped he's like I'm gonna be a prophet I'm gonna be like Jeremiah my idol I'm gonna be like my Daniel and and on top of that I got the God of the universe just like talking to me randomly like this is awesome and God says yeah you're gonna be my prophet but uh, you're not gonna be able to talk and Ezekiel's like wait what (laughs) Isn't that what a prophet does? Isn't that like my main job? God's like, no, you're not going to be able to talk unless I specifically give you a certain message to a certain people. That should have been Ezekiel's first clue, that God's got some unique plans for him. That he's got some creative ways to get his people's attention that he's going to use Ezekiel to do. He says, now you, Ezekiel, I want you to uh, take a brick and set it in front of you. And so Ezekiel's like, all right. I could do that, all right. Might not be able to talk, but uh, I got uh, I got bricks, okay. So he takes this brick and he's like, "What now?" Set in front of me, and God says, well, "What I want you to do is I want you to draw the city of Jerusalem on it." And so Ezekiel's like, okay, I know a Jerusalem well. He used to live there for the first 25 years of his life. So he's going through and he's like drawing. He's like, okay, there's a wall here. There's a wall there. Uh, Here's the gate. There's a gate over here. I got some houses, you know, a market, whatever. So he's got all this stuff on there. And then God says, this is what I want you to do with that brick. I want you to lay siege against it, meaning construct a siege wall, build a ramp, pitch military camps, and place battering rams against it. On all sides. Uh, How many guys ever played like this plastic army men? You know what I'm talking about? Back in the day? Green versus tan? Come on, people, where you at? Anybody? Okay. Everybody watched Toy Story before? Jeez. Okay. So that's what he does. So he sets up the scene. I get some palm trees out there because this is the Middle East, you know? And so he's got the trees. Whoa. Okay. He's got the trees going. Um, He's got Nebuchadnezzar and their flag. Because this is what's gonna happen to Jerusalem. And he sets up all these, uh, all these barriers. He's got all this stuff. And they're completely surrounding the nation, or not the nation, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And he gets all his little guys. You got the flamethrower guys, you got the guys with a pistol, you got bazooka guy hiding over here, you got the guys laying down shooting, you got a couple of those. You got the minesweeper, probably didn't need that back then. Uh, but he's, you know, there. You got mortars, okay? Coming in, that type of thing. More flamethrowers. Then you got the guy radioing radioing um, backup, I guess. Here's another flamethrower. And so they're all surrounding, all right, the nation. You got some heavy artillery, all right, like some tanks out there. And so he's got it all set up. And he's looking at it, and he's like, hey man, this is pretty good. You know what I'm talking about? This is fun. Okay. And so God says, This is what I want you to do. Take an iron plate, set it up as an iron wall between yourself and the city. He's like, Okay, I got plate right here. And he says, And face it, or face it so that it is under siege, and then besiege it. Meaning you're playing it. You're like, You know, all the wall fell down, you know, that type of thing. And so he's playing it out in the city. I mean, this is what he's doing, okay? I'm not crazy. This was God's thing, not mine. And he says, and then besiege it. He says, this, as you're playing it all day long, this will be a sign for the house of Israel. Meaning all the people in the market, he's amongst all these Jewish people, around 10,000 of them that have already been taken and they're exiled out of of Israel, out of their nation. And so they're all walking by all day and he's just like, you know, that type of thing. And he's just playing this all day long. And Ezekiel, he hears this and he's like, all right, like this is weird. Okay, um, I guess I can do it. And what God's trying to do here is God's trying to get their attention. And this is exactly He's saying what's going to happen to Jerusalem in just a few years. In fact, it's already happened twice at this point. Remember, it happens the first time when uh, once when Jehoiakim was king, he takes guys like Daniel. All right, and then three years later, Jehoiakim rebels against Nebuchadnezzar, and so he comes in again, and that's when Jehoiakim gets kicked off the wall, you know, that guy, and then he takes 10,000 prisoners along with Ezekiel, and Babylon owns Judah at this point, but Judah is still kind of hanging on, meaning they still have their own king, all right, they still have people living within the land, and what God is basically saying through all this is he's saying, hey, you think you have a bed now, my people? just wait. Because you refuse to listen to me, Nebuchadnezzar's coming back. And guess what? It is going to be bad. And while I'm sure that's news that Ezekiel probably doesn't want to hear and probably doesn't want to, want to tell anybody, um, Ezekiel's like, okay, well, I can handle that. I can play army man, you know, game. Like, how, how long do you want me to do this? I can't talk anyway. You know what I'm talking about? So, like, I can do this. And God's like, well, I actually got more for you to do. And this is where things get really weird. He says, next, I want you to lie down on your side and place the iniquity. Iniquity, uh, this just means like guilt and shame of their sin. Okay, so picture that. It's not like he's not placing something physical on him. He's like, picture yourself carrying all the guilt and shame. I want you to do that. Um, of the house of Israel on it. He says, you will bear their guilt and shame for the number of days that you lie on your side. And Ezekiel's going, well, how long is that? What do you mean number of days? How many days? He says, for I have assigned you the years of their guilt and shame according to the number of days they will lie down. He's like, that will be 390 days. And Ezekiel's like, what? 300 what? Are you kidding me? He says, so you will bear their guilt and shame of the house of Israel for 390 long, long days. He doesn't even get to switch sides. Have you noticed that? Right? Like when I'm sleeping at night. I got to, like, flip around. I'm, like, moving and tossing and turning. Because one side gets hot and you got to flip. You know, like that type of thing. Ezekiel doesn't even get to do that. He has to lay on one side, his left side, for all this time. Now, uh, just to clear this up, he's not doing this 24-7. Okay, this isn't 390 days 24-7. But he's doing this for most of the day. This is like his job, all right, doing Work for the Lord, and some of you guys would be all about this. Some of you guys, let's be honest, some of you dudes, you guys, you're like 23, and you're, this is what you do all day, okay, you're in your mom's basement, laying on your side, playing army men on the, only you're on the TV, you know what I'm talking about? All right, real cool. Um, but my guess is for Ezekiel, this is not what he thought a prophet should be doing. This is like, this is not his idea of being a prophet. I mean, after all, Daniel's not doing this. Jeremiah doesn't have to do this. Why does he have to do this? But God wasn't done. He says, when you have completed these days, I want you to lie down again. He's like, what? Again? But this time, lie on your right side. Oh, okay. He says, and then I want you to bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. All right, so the first 390 days, what he's doing is he's bearing their guilt and shame of the northern kingdom, Israel, who left God a lot, you know, many years before Judah did. And now he's like, now he's paying for for Judah He says, I want you to do that. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. So after he's done with his 390 days of laying on his left side all day, out in the street, in the dirt, playing with his army men, then he has to flip sides for 40 more days, and he's got to do that for 40 days. He says, and then while you're doing that, face the siege of Jerusalem with your arm barred and prophesy against it. So then he's allowed to talk. He flips over, and then he starts Yelling, in a sense, at his at his like setup, at his armymen, at at the at the uh, his setup of Jerusalem. And this is not what Ezekiel is thinking. Like he's like, it's like he just. I'm sure he's in shock. He's like, I can't believe I got to do this. And he's thinking that's it. And he's going, man, this is not an ideal situation, but I guess I could do that. There's worse things out there, but God goes on. He says, also, I want you to take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. This is all, like, um, different types of grains. By the way, these are grains that you would never, ever mix together. Uh, you would have, like, one type of bread, another type of bread, another type of bread. But this is, like, the idea of in Jerusalem, as they're all, like, scraping the bottom of the barrel, of each barrel, and, like, putting it together so that they can make, like, one tiny loaf of bread. Because they are going to be out of food. He says, I want you to put them in a single container and make them into bread for yourself, This is like poor man, poor, poor, poor man's bread, okay? This is not something anybody would normally eat. This is something animals wouldn't even touch. He says, and you're going to eat this during the number of days that you lie on your side. Remember the 390 days? And Ezekiel's like, okay. All right? He says, the food that you'll eat each day will weigh about eight ounces. So that's about this much. I measured it out last night. This is eight ounces, ounces of grain. So he's like, this is your meal that you're going to eat all day long. Okay, this is what you got. Can you handle that? And he's probably not happy about it, but he's like, okay, I'll do this. You'll eat it at set times. So it's like you get to make a little piece of toast, and then you get to take little bites out of it set times during the day. day. It's like he's rationing his food, which is exactly what's going to happen someday in Jerusalem. He says, you will also drink a ration of water, a sixth of a gallon, which you will drink at set times. And so he goes, and he's like, all right, I got a sixth of a gallon here. Okay, this is how much that looks like. Um, it's a little cloudy. It's tiffin water. Okay, so you guys know what I'm talking about. And so uh, Ezekiel, he, he measures it out. He's like, okay, this is all the water they he's got to drink all day. Now, where's Ezekiel at? Modern day Iraq. Okay. out in the desert. This is probably not ideal, I know some of you ladies, there's no chance you could ever do this because I've seen you. You walk around with those big old metal, you know, gallon-sized drinks. I don't know where, Kate's got something like that, and it drives me crazy. I hate it because it doesn't fit in the cup holders in the car, and every time you take a turn, it's like boom, 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 boom. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, all right? It happens, yeah. Annoying. (laughs) I'm like, why do we carry that everywhere we go, all right? I'll buy you a drink, anything. And so here's what Ezekiel has all day. So if you could picture this, during this year and three months or so, Ezekiel is, number one, losing weight at probably an alarming rate, okay, because all he does is he, I mean, all he has to eat is like a piece of toast all day long. Not only that, but he's also severely dehydrated, and so he's starving, he's severely dehydrated, what he's doing is he's representing exactly what's going to happen to the Jewish people who are left in Jerusalem and he says, you're going to eat it, that bread, as you would a barley cake, and bake it over dried human excrement in their sight. Things just got another level weird, right? was <laughs> like, what? What God's doing is he's representing or he's showing them what's going to happen, and he's doing it in a very unique way. He's trying to get their attention. Right? He's saying, hey, this is what... They will be doing. This is what's going to be happening. Instead of following me, you guys have chosen your own way. You guys have ran from me. Instead of me blessing you with more than you could ever have, more than enough, you guys have to ration your food, even cooking food over human crap. All right, let's call it what it is. All, uh, all because you don't have enough fuel because you're out of everything. You're out of food, you're out of fuel, right? It's just gonna be a terrible, terrible time. And as you can imagine, when Ezekiel hears this, Ezekiel's like, whoa, God, God, please. I can lay on the ground, I can play army men, I can eat that one piece of bread. Like, I'm okay, I, like, I don't like it, but I'll do it. All right, please don't let me, please don't make me cook this over human, you know, feces. And so God's like, all right. So he pushes back and God says, look, this is what I'll do for you. I will let you use cow dung instead, okay, <laughs> of human excrement, and you can make your bread over that, and as I thought about that, I was like, what, and I'm like, yeah, I'd probably rather do that too, you know, this is grossing me yeah, out, like, I, I don't know, I don't even want to think about it, and so God is reminding Ezekiel, he's like, this is happening, not because I'm trying to torture you, Ezekiel, this is happening because you guys, your people have left me, and it's going to happen to them. And everyone will be devastated and waste away. They're going to starve. Like, you're about to starve for this next year. He's like, they're going to waste away because of their guilt and their shame and their sin. Because they have constantly rebelled against me. And that's it. That's pretty weird, right? Right? As he's sitting there all day, like, what, what's God doing? God is going through the extreme measures to get their attention. I mean, he has a guy laying on his side for over a year, playing army men in the streets, army men in the dirt, while roasting bread over cow manure, starving himself, dehydrating himself, oh, and he can't talk. Like, that's different. That's weird. And I'm like, thinking of this, I'm like, why was God doing this? He was doing this, I know, to get people's attention, but you would think, just like telling them straight up. But then, yesterday, I go to Walmart, and I'm like, you know what? You don't notice the normal people at Walmart. You notice the weird ones. You know what I'm talking about? I'm serious. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is something that people are going to remember. It's weird. He chooses the weird way to do it. And he's warning his people. I mean, he's tried, he's like exhausted everything. He's tried all the other different ways. He's saying, turn back to me. This is going to get so much Worse for you. And this is probably a super difficult thing for Ezekiel to tell his people, right? Like these are his people, man. This is his family. This is his hometown that's going to get destroyed. And in the middle of all the doom and gloom that God gives them, God also offers them hope. He says, Yet, Ezekiel, I will leave a remnant when you are scattered among the nations, for throughout the countries there will be some of you who will not escape the sword, meaning some of you, or sorry, who will escape the sword. Some of you guys won't die. He says, then, which this is so sad to me. He's like, then, after all of this happens, after it gets so bad, after you have been kidnapped From your home. He says, then and only then. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it didn't come to this. I don't want it to come to this, but this is just how it is because you guys are so hard headed and hard hearted. He says, then and only then, your survivors will finally remember me among the nations where they're taken captive. He said, finally, they'll turn back to me when it gets bad enough, and for them, it has to get really bad, and it will. See, I think we naturally tend to think, like, dude, man, like, all these people are going to die? Like, God's cool with that? I mean, it just doesn't seem like how we picture, you know, God being. But actually, what really, and I kind of started thinking that, like, earlier this week, but, but as I started reading, as I started thinking more and more and more, what stood out to me was God's patience with them. I mean, this nation, like, these are his people. Like, this is who he has appeared to. This is who he's sending all these prophets. He's doing all these, like, miraculous stuff throughout the years. And, and it's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of them rebelling against God, doing horrible things that we would not even imagine doing in our society. I mean, they are, is bad. And he's still trying to get their attention. Like, he doesn't give up on them. Like he's still, he's still trying, and, and he won't give up. He refuses to bail on them, even when they walk away, even when they do life their own way, even when they refuse to listen to him. And guess what? He does the same thing with us. Do you realize that? He does the exact same, same thing with us. Like, in a sense, we do the same thing that the Israelites, that the the, Jew, the Jewish people do, did. Like we rebel, just like they rebel. Okay, we put things before God. Like they worshiped all these like fake gods and stuff like that, but what do we do? Well, we, in a sense, we worship all these other things in our life, but putting them above God in our life. Things like sports and careers and relationships and our kids' sports and, and hobbies and things like that. We put all this stuff before God and we put God on the back burner and many times we just, we just refuse to listen. By the way, can I just say this? Is that when you spend you know if you are not getting in to God's words daily i'm just saying like i get you come here to church and you get a little bit of God's word and and you you know maybe come on wednesday night or whatever and you, know, you got that going maybe you come to church twice twice a week or whatever you got groups or whatever that's not enough i'm just saying that that ain't enough all right if you are not getting in to God's words to you on, like, let's say a daily basis, what you're doing is you're you're ignoring him. You are refusing to listen, just like these people did. And God's coming after you. Like, this, this is the awesome thing about it. Like, for some reason, in some way, like, he's always after us. He's, instead of, like, if it was me, you know, instead of just being like, okay, well, you got all this stuff before me, and I'm your creator, and I've tried so many times, like, I'm giving up on you. Like, I'm done, all right? You do you. Like, like that's how I would view if I was God. Like, that's just how I'd feel, all right? But instead, what God does is he sees, okay, they have all this stuff before me in their life. What God starts doing is he starts competing with those things. He doesn't give up. He competes for our attention in all sorts of ways. Sure, maybe he doesn't have a guy laying on the road in the dirt playing with army men outside your house, you know, but he's got each of you here today somehow some way you're here and he's always trying to show himself to you. And so what I encourage you guys to do this week is take a step back. Look at the big picture. Look for what ways is God trying to get your attention? Specifically, uniquely for you. That's what he does. He's creative. How is God trying to get your attention? How is God showing up in your life to pull him back to you? Now, you're not going to see all of them because I, I think God is constantly trying to get our attention and competing for the number one spot in our life in so many different ways that there's no possible way that we could be like, oh, in this way, this, you know, we can't get them all. But you'll at least see a few of them, some of them. You should be able to recognize that. And the question is, will you listen? He's just trying to get your attention. are you going to listen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this odd, unique story of you trying to get these people's attention in a very <laughs> weird, odd way, God. Um, and knowing that it wasn't going to work. Like knowing that they, that they would still refuse you, which is so, so sad. God, we ask that we wouldn't be like them. Lord, we ask that we would grow in our relationship with you and pursue you and answer your call for our attention. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for caring about us so much to do that and trying so hard and and just never giving up on us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.